Hello, my name is Dan B, and welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. Just from being involved with service, seeing all the, the hours and all the anonymous people that helped me get where I am today. That's why we do what we do, is to help people get sober. And if I can do it, you can do it. I am no different than you. I am a knucklehead. I still make mistakes. The beauty of it is I don't have to be perfect. I just have to do the best I can and have a willingness to, to make those amends and, and atone for the, the bonehead things that I do on a daily basis. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. On this show, we try to bring inspiration for those people seeking sobriety through interviews with members of the recovery community sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Through the lens of the Daily Reflections book, each day, a new inspirational passage, and a conversation. We are not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you will hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. On today's show, Dan B. from Flemington, New Jersey. Before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, give us a rating or a comment. This is going to help us improve the show and expand our reach. We hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Good morning. It's a great morning. How are you this morning? Fantastic. Another beautiful April day. What's in store for today? So today is April 12th, and we have Dan B. from Flemington, New Jersey in the studio with us today, and he's going to be sharing his experience, strength, and hope around today's daily reflection, which is giving up insanity. Fantastic. Well, Dan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So we get started in the same way every day. We ask the guest to read the daily reflection for the day. Would you help us get started? Sure thing. Giving up insanity. Where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. Alcoholics Anonymous, page 38. Alcoholism required me to drink, whether I wanted to or not. Insanity dominated my life and was the essence of my disease. It robbed me of my freedom of choice over drinking and therefore robbed me of all their choices. When I drank, I was unable to make effective choices in any part of my life, and life became unmanageable. I asked God to help me understand and accept the full meaning of the disease of alcoholism. Wow, that sums it up pretty accurately. Thanks for reading, Dan. Before we get started, what's your sobriety date? April 4th, 1993. Well, congratulations. You just had a big birthday. So as you read this, what what comes to mind for you first? What comes to me first is the, the insanity. The word insanity just kind of really stands out. And, um, and you know, that the, the same decisions were not being able to made by me. When I was drinking, I just did. There was not a lot of thinking. There was not a lot of soundness or thoughts about it. You just do. And if someone else was doing it, I joined them. And even in the program, sometimes after falling in the program, when I did, that word insanity has a lot of clear definitions. And I try to definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And so tell me a little bit about what got you into the rooms. What was going on back when you decided to make a change in your life? I was very fortunate. I had a family member reach out to me to uh, intervene in my life at the time. And I was definitely not soundness of mind. I was, I wanted to run. There was a lot of self-pity, a lot of poor me's and 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 my mother intervened in my life and um, introduced me to um, a rehab, or actually an interview at a rehab. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey. I wasn't ready yet. I still had some years to fight this, fight that. However, um, you know, I'm always very thankful that my mother 
went above and beyond and kind of, you know, helped me to get on the road that I am today. I don't know if I, oh, I wouldn't be here today if it wouldn't have been for her help back then. So the, I was definitely willing. The pain was great enough. And thankfully, the assistance and help that I was getting was lessening the pain. And that was positive, you know, less pain, good, right? For me, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily any one of like, the outside events, like a lot of people with jails, uh, I've never been arrested. I've only been in the back of a cop car once when I locked my keys out of my car. So I didn't have a lot of the outside stuff, but the internal stuff, life was very difficult to live and it was incredibly painful. And the solutions that were being provided to me lessened the pain and then I just kept going with it. I love that about your mom, you know, the angels in our lives that show up to help guide us to to where we want to be. And it makes me think sometimes about how much pain we put the people that are closest to through as they watch us destroy ourselves. So what was it like when you first got into the room? First coming to the rooms, I was fortunate. I came in through Al-Anon. So it was like right church, wrong pew. So I was fortunate to go to that fellowship for about a year before, you know, all of a sudden I became an alcoholic. So coming into the rooms, I, um, from going to Al-Anon, you know, I knew about the beginnings and you know, you sit up front and well, usually with the al it was a circle. So there wasn't really a front. So <laughs> luckily with that, I, I was kind of fortunate that some of the basics I had kind of learned and picked up in al -Anon. Um, I had already started praying when I was in al -Anon, So I was very fortunate with that. The information that I got, um, like when my mother first helped me out, I went to a bunch of lecture series. So I had the knowledge, you know, in my head and then the beer in my belly for a few years. So that didn't mix very well at all. As we all know, the, the, the pain of that was kind of intense, even more so when I was just drinking without the knowledge. So in the beginning, it was, you know, I came in, sat up front, and it was just, there was this comfort of being in the room. You know, my brain stopped racing and the pain was lessened. I didn't really understand a lot what was being said and was going on, but I just know that I felt better when I left. So I kept coming more and kept coming more. I hear it so often, you know, coming to the program of AA through the back door of Al-Anon. I'm curious about how foundational the things that you heard in Al-Anon from other people sharing. Did you resonate with what they were describing in their relationships? Did you, is that what really triggered you that you, you may have this thing? I, I would love to sit here and, and say yes, but that would be a big old lie. <laughs> Because ultimately, the reason I went to an AA meeting is because in Al-Anon, they, they had mentioned many times about how to increase the compassion for the alcoholic would be to go to open speaker meetings. And that's where I went. I went to an open speaker meeting and happy, grateful Jack M was talking about progression. And I was like, whoops. And then the next week I came and Alan A talked about the change. And that's the switch that kind of went off in my head that... I could no longer say I was not an alcoholic and they're my problem. It's I have this disease and I have a problem. More earth angels sharing the story. I also came in through the back door of Al-Anon. So um, I can I can relate to that. But it took me, I don't know, 30 more years or something to recognize that I was an alcoholic. So did you get a sponsor right away? How did you talk about how you got involved in the actual program of recovery? Sure. Um, I was really fortunate. Um, a gentleman I work with, he had a one day at a time that was a red cover. And my, in Al-Anon, read one day at a time as a blue cover. I knew he was in the program. So when I finally made that decision, I was able to reach out to him and he gave me a, 
the acceptance pamphlet, which I still have today. And he gave me a meeting book, which showed all where the meetings were. And I started going to the meetings and there was this wise gentleman who knew of Al-Anon. So he had, he was wise beyond, you know, he was wise. So he became my first sponsor just because he knew what Al-Anon was and he had to be a genius. And um, he helped me get sober my first year and got me into service and the steps and we got me to do a four step. And as a conniving alcoholic, I had to do a couple fifth steps because, you know, I forgot to read the one side of the paper that I didn't want to read about that. I didn't, oh, I forgot to read that. Yeah, I think uh, I have a similar story around the fifth step. And the great thing about it is you can always go back. You can always do your fifth and not only your fifth again, but your fourth and uh, get a little bit deeper. So I know that you're heavily involved in service in the program. You want to talk a little bit about how you made that transition from you know getting well yourself to, to looking for ways to increase your impact through service? There's a line somewhere in the big book where it talks about people can become prodigies of service. And for about my first seven years, I always used to bring up a resentment until one day when I was reading that and I was like, wow, I'm seven years sober. It kind of dawned on me from making coffee before I ever drank coffee, you know, leading meetings, selling the 50-50 raffles, you know, um, in New Jersey, we have a thing called bookers where we get together very early in the morning and swap speaking commitments. I mean, early in the morning. And, you know, my first few times there was holding the sign and that's, you know, and then I, you know, five years later, I got to, they trusted me to take numbers and, and there was all kinds of with that. So, and it's just a a service for me. I had, I was renting a room when I first started. So I, I went to work, came home and I had nothing, I had much, much to do. So I would go to a lot of meetings and I didn't have much money. So I would walk around town. So and so for me, the, the meetings and getting into service really gave me something to do and also allowed me to get to meet the people and them to meet me and feeling increasing that comfortability around other drunks because I was, I didn't really like people when I came on the program. And today, sometimes I'm not really 100% <laughs> having, I, I love, I've, I've come to love everyone in AA, I really have. Um, and some not liking me and I like me not like them, but um, some days are better than others. And I, I don't mean to paint too dark of a picture there, but um, it, it did help for me to get to know people, them to get to know me. And, and just that power of, you know, one shaking a hand of another person and saying, hi, how was your day? Or, you know, how are you doing today? Just that connection really kind of got me out of myself and, and saw some of the benefits of just, I mean, I experienced the benefits before I was told what they were. I think that's great because I think you're sharing an experience that a lot of people coming into recovery have, like there are some natural extroverts that want to jump into the middle of the boat. And then there are some folks that maybe aren't quite as peopley as others. And what you're talking about is a way in a way of entry into connection and into community through service. And it's a beautiful thing. And you've clearly continued along those lines because you're a district committee member of your district and do you want to talk a little bit about what that service commitment is and how people can get involved in service at that level? Sure, it's great. My experience began when I was the next person to become the GSR. Everyone's did it and either didn't like it or got out of it. And I fell in love with it when I became my first GS, when I was doing my GSR for the first few times. So for folks listening that may not be familiar with uh, some of the terms DCM and, and GSR, what is a GSR? There's a pamphlet called General Service Representative, the most important position in AA. 
So if you're not familiar with what that is, you can get that pamphlet at aa.org. It's free PDFs. And, you know, it's not the most important person. It's the most important position in AA. Of course, mm. I probably read it as most important person. However, whatever gets you in the door, right? It doesn't really matter as long as you stay in there. So the general service representative is the conduit from the groups to the district, you know, the reverse triangle, the groups run AA, then you have a district, and then you have your area. Um, our area is Area 44 in northern New Jersey. And, and then your area has a delegate. And then there's 93 areas. Each delegate is a part of that. And, and in a couple of weeks, they're going to have their yearly general service conference where all the changes and the requests from the fellowship could be from anyone. They're all going to be discussed by the area delegates, and they will come to decisions and conclusions on these decisions and information and requests for change and requests for various, you know, items. Thanks for that explanation. And I couldn't help but notice that you got a little emotional as we talked about this. And I feel like I can relate, but I'd like you to share with us, what is it that touches you so deeply? It's just kind of an honor to be a part of the, the part, part of the process. Um, going to the meetings, initially, I heard and saw things and made certain deductions and came up with certain conclusions. When I got to other areas, like below the groups, I saw that it wasn't the loudest voice that won. It wasn't the most compelling argument that won. It was what's best for AA, which wins all the time. And usually we move slowly because we want to this to continue. Because that's that's kind of what's most important. Yeah, I, I get emotional as well. Thinking about the, you know, the commitments that people before us have made to keep this thing going. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's it's been brought to my attention. And just from being involved with service, seeing all the the hours and all the anonymous people that helped me get where I am today, all the, you know, people doing the cooperation with professional communities, public information, you know, history and archive, all these various committees that do so much work to help others help us get sober and to stay sober. And, you know, it's just, it's really a beautiful thing. It's, it's also wise to have a service sponsor. I know you probably hear a lot about sponsorship when, you know, getting sober, getting into service, there's always a need and I need a service sponsor because I either say yes or no to everything. I'm never in the middle. And a service sponsor is someone to help you stay sane during the service process because there's always opportunities. It's just, is this opportunity correct for me at the current time? I have to be honest, Dan. This is the first time I'm hearing that term, service sponsor. Is this, um, am I correct in assuming that this is someone who is not your, uh, your sponsor in the program? This is somebody separate from that? Correct. A gentleman just north of us, Mike D, is my service sponsor. And whenever I have questions on whether I should sign up or do certain service, I, I run it by him. He's he's been a DCM prior. He's been he's been on some committee chairs. He's he's been involved with service at the area level and the district level and the, and the group level. So he has a lot of that experience. And I've actually had to run by something recently. You know, should I apply for this? Should I run for that? And and you know, he was able to give me guidance to to better serve AA. I think as alcoholics, you know, you were saying earlier, just the importance of the structure of AA so that we can provide a seat to the suffering alcoholic. Like the whole point of everything is singleness of purpose that we need to be here for the alcoholic that's seeking a solution. And the fact that alcoholics go out of their way 
to do the work and all the hours of commitment, like just to ensure that one person has a seat is pretty amazing because we don't do that naturally. Like naturally, we just care about ourselves. Talk to us a little bit, Dan. You're a district committee member, which means that you manage volunteer efforts and all the various committees and all that at the district level. But how do people get involved if they want to? Right now, we're all on Zoom. And we may not necessarily know how to plug in. So if people are listening and they're like, I want to get involved in that kind of service, how do they do that? Sure. Now, everyone listening to this in the North America, whether you're in America or in Canada, you are part of an area. So there will be an area place where um, a website for your local committee, local area, and you have your various districts within your areas. And if, if that's unfamiliar to you, there's always a sponsor or you can just ask somebody, raise your hand in a meeting and say, you know, I heard this thing about GSR. How do I become one? Whether you're in a virtual meeting or a face-to-face, there will probably be someone in there who's either tried it, done it, or should be able to guide you to someone who's doing it right now. One of the joys that is with this current situation that we're in has made it so conducive to do some of the service because some of the challenges are driving. Um, I'm 45 minutes away from the area office, but now I'm, I can be there and you know, with a double couple of clicks of a mouse. The district meeting, we have kind of the largest district in northern New Jersey. So I can go 40 minutes north and I'm still in the district. So we have some groups up there. So they don't have to do that driving that it's 7.30 at night, it's a district meeting. And then, you know, you have to work all day and then you have a 40 minute one way and a 40 minute back and an hour and a half meeting. That's a lot to ask um, of people. Um, it's not that it's too much to ask, but it is a lot to ask. So One of the beautiful things from this format is in the future, we might be able to do hybrid meetings where people that do come from far distances can still participate, but not have the time-consuming part of the going, driving back and forth. Fantastic. One of the the beautiful things that has happened as a result of COVID and the pandemic. Curious about the requirements. Again, we, we like to address the needs of the folks listening that may not be familiar. What do I have to have in order to start to investigate this journey of, of service in, at the district or, or area level? Sure. And the pamphlet is a great source. Um, and I will just kind of paraphrase some of the thing that they suggest in there. You know, A, there's no must, but we have lots of suggestions. So usually the suggestion is someone to have a couple of years sobriety. So just to kind of have some stability. And those, I remember the first few years for me were kind of a lot of ups and lots of downs. So um, it did mellow out after a few years for me, thankfully. So usually we ask for a, um, a couple of years of sobriety. It's not a mandatory, it's suggested. And it's also someone who has the abilities and time to do it. There is a time commitment. And it really, if you know, if if you're going back to school, you know, if you kind of, you know, you're raising three kids, you know, if if you have a lot of time things on, this may not be the service commitment for you. You know, so it is something you have to invest time in uh, because it does require time and it does require interactions with others. And, 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 um, and you don't have to be an extrovert because God knows you've already heard me. I am not an extrovert in any way, shape or form, but one of the roles of service that I've been able to do that I was actually involved with a grapevine play. <laughs> so, uh, so for me to get in front of like 200 alcoholics at a, uh, our area convention and sing, <laughs> And I'm not a singer. So it, it provides opportunities of amazing things. I mean, some of the service things I've done, it just have blown my mind, as, as was said by Lee so many times. That's why we do what we do is to help people get sober. Wow. I love the feeling of purpose that enables us to step outside of the comfort zone and 
be courageous. Like I can't be courageous for myself, but I can be courageous for you if I know it's going to help you. Beautiful, beautiful. And I love, I just want to double click on the on the service sponsorship thing. Um, the way to find, I guess, a service sponsor would be to find people that are doing a lot of service and maybe ask them to help guide you along the way. And then usually it's it's about uncovering our motives, right? Like why are we doing it? And do a little mini inventory on why we're doing service and whether or not it's causing other issues in our lives. So I love that you brought that up. As we start to wrap up, Dan, do you have anything that you'd like to share with either somebody new in the program or maybe somebody who's thinking about getting into the program? Any advice? The one thing I like to share is if I can do it, you can do it. There is no difference for me than anyone else. I remember once I asked someone to give me a a coin or we have a pin, 90-day pin, and they had three years sobriety. I thought they were spiritual giants until I had three years. And I was like, okay, change that view. So it is simply as simple as just showing up, keeping an open mind. You know, don't drink, go to meetings is something that's said a lot. And for me, it's something that's come to mean a lot because just because it's good doesn't mean I stop going to meetings. So that don't drink and go to meetings is something that is one of those phrases that works in the beginning, middle, and for the rest of my life. And if I can do it, you can do it. I am no different than you. I am a knucklehead. I still make mistakes. The beauty of it is I don't have to be perfect. I just have to do the best I can and have a willingness to, to make those amends and, and atone for the, the bonehead things that I do on a daily basis. Dan, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. It's been beautiful. Thank you very much. This was really an honor. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for stepping up. Thanks to Dan for stopping by, and thanks to you, the listeners. Appreciate your support. If you want to follow us online, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash group slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Daily Reflector. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.